Welcome, everyone. He is risen. Yeah, he is risen indeed. Those words reflect the power of 1 Corinthians 15, 55, which says, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This morning, we remember and we celebrate as a church family here and those online to celebrate and remember Jesus' resurrection. It's wonderful for us to do so. It's quite a privilege, actually, in light of the era we live in and just recognizing even two years ago, we didn't meet in person to do so. And so now for us to fill a room to remember and to rejoice in Christ's resurrection carries in more significance than usual. On Friday, we remembered that Jesus was brutally killed on the cross as payment for our sin. And then he was laid in the tomb. That was essentially part one. If you missed that and you're curious, it's online. You could listen to what we remembered on Friday. And today, we celebrate the hope and the life found in Jesus' resurrection. Today, along with Christians around the globe, we celebrate an empty tomb. It promises to us life over death. And it also indicates to us that Jesus is truth. He is who he claimed to be, and he did what he claimed he would do. Today, along with Christians throughout past generations or the church historic, we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. He promised he would be raised on the third day, and he promised that those who are in Christ would rise again and be united with him forever. Amen. Let me begin with a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can read your word that you have preserved this resurrection story for us, for us to read and celebrate, not just as some sort of oral tradition or something that has been uh, evolved and changed over time, but it is secure, it is solid. We can read this and join those who've gone before us. God, we pray a special prayer for our friends and the church plant up in Etlin, Madison County. I pray that your presence and your power would be with them this morning as they are gathering to celebrate that those whose hearts are ready to receive the good news of the gospel, that you would move with great power there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning's celebration can be summarized with two or three verses that are found in Luke 24. It says this near the end of the chapter, which we'll read the beginning in a moment. But near the end, it says this. The Messiah, or the Christ, he will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Today is a culmination of Jesus' life, his mission, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Forgiveness of our sin, this is past forgiveness, this is past regrets and pain, this is present and future sin, all of it. Forgiveness of our sin is available because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we would have no eternal salvation. We have no other option. There is no plan B to remove our sin and bridge the gap between God and man. And the only one who had the ability and the permission to be that substitutionary atonement on our behalf was Jesus Christ. So Jesus' death and his resurrection are for us and for mankind as a whole the most important events that we can acknowledge and we can celebrate. The last three days reflect this pivotal moment. 
So let me just help us to, to dig into this story here. And let's think about this. To, to set the stage, I want for you to imagine, which is not hard for you to, but imagine little children chasing after Easter eggs. Some of you, this is what you did maybe yesterday or at some point in the last week. Maybe that's what today looks like. And what do you do? They're usually lined up in some way. And then there's a green field of grass just full of spotted full of little colorful eggs and you say go and they chase after them with their little basket and they're bumping kids off you know over to the side and whatever it takes they have this passion I mean they you cannot stop the children from getting these until the field is totally empty well friends I think these children and their relentless pursuit and searching after finding an easter egg for us should convict our hearts regarding our pursuit of our Savior. They are little pictures of us, but for us, we are not searching for eggs. We are searching for more profound things such as love and clarity to make sense of the world. We search for friends and we search for purpose and we search for solutions to our problems. We search for hope in our despair and depression. We search for answers for what happens when we die. Little kids grabbing the next colorful egg is fun, and you may witness that today. And if you do, I want you to look at them and be reminded, how do you search for the things that matter the most, for that which is eternal? Today we find what our hearts are searching for when it comes to eternal matters in Jesus Christ. We get to read the story of why Jesus is the truth, the life, the way. God promises that we will find him when we seek him. Listen to this from Proverbs 8, 17. It says, those who diligently seek me will find me. Again, kids search for and seek after little eggs. Do we seek after God with diligence? A couple other verses along these lines that aren't on the screen is Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Or Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it'll be given. Seek and you will find. Unfortunately, many people are preoccupied seeking after lesser things. We're all seeking after stuff, but we seek after, we tend to seek after that which is not eternal or that which is incredibly earthly. That which is, is, is not part of the whole formula of being connected with our creator. Metaphorically, again, we are like little kids excited that we found cheap plastic eggs with jelly beans inside. And that's what we look like when we are seeking after all these lesser things. Common world spirituality tells us that we must roam the corners of the globe or climb the highest mountains, uh, literally, mountains with places of worship there or uh, seek the deepest philosophies available. But scripture reminds us that truth is found in Jesus. First Timothy 2, 4 says, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that leads us to today's discussion on the resurrection. What I love about Jesus, our true God, the one true God that we celebrate today is that he is not a distant God. He did not create the world and then abandon it. 
He created the world and then engaged it with the most radical love we could ever seek to imagine. A radical love that changes your life. A radical love that each of us can embrace. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the underlying question with all of this leads me to ask us, how is it that Jesus can give eternal life? Or, or another, another way to word this would be, upon what authority does Jesus offer eternal life? Why Jesus and not someone else? Why not another religious figure or belief system? What makes Jesus so special? And again, not cartoon Jesus or bobblehead Jesus or felt board Jesus, Real life Jesus, the one who left the heavenly realms, lived on earth, learned the trade of carpentry from his father, and eventually died on the cross in his mid-30s on our behalf. Is he just another historical figure, or is he really a life changer that offers eternal life? That's the question we have before us this morning. So let's read the resurrection story. I'd like to read out of the book of Luke here. We've been studying Luke as a church family. So in chapter 24, in verses 1 through 12, we see the story of Jesus' empty tomb and those who discovered it. So I'd like to read this for us. We'll pull some takeaways from this, and, and then uh, we'll, we will learn this morning. So it starts off this way. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how I told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Well, it continues here. And they remembered his words in Luke 24, verse 8. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. There's the resurrection story in a nutshell. We have this account in, this isn't Luke, but we also see it in Matthew and then in Mark and then in the Gospel of John. These four different books, each of them telling the resurrection story. Most of it overlaps verbatim and then some unique details because each author has a different perspective on the same story. And we have it recorded for us. It's not just, and Jesus rose. There's wonderful details for us to look at here. So I'd like to explain a little bit of what we are reading to understand this better. First of all, verse one tells us it's the first day of the week. This is a Sunday morning and the women are going to the tomb with spices in accordance to the tradition of the time. And they get there and normally you might have a large stone that's placed over it and it can be moved if needed. But in this case, this stone had been sealed and it had been guarded by the Roman guards, right? Some of the elite soldiers of the time, nobody's getting in, nobody's getting out. 
but they arrive and the tomb is empty. How would you feel if you were going to a tomb and then it was empty and you weren't expecting it? And it's a loved one. Well, you'd be angry, bewildered, stunned, shocked, confused. The version I read, it says that they were perplexed about this. And then in that moment, there are two men in dazzling apparel. This is not talking about Neil and Maddie in their Virginia Tech gear. This is, this is creatively saying two angels. All right, these two angels, they arrive. The women are frightened. They bow their faces to the ground. And then the men say this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In this little statement, one question and two sentences of a, of a, of a response that, they, that the men give to the women. You have this compact summary of our faith on this day. They begin by saying he has risen or he has been raised. Scholars will describe this as a divine passive because it points to the fact that Jesus was raised by God. This was not accident and the body was not taken or anything like that. God raised Jesus. It continues describing how the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and then be crucified and on the third day rise. Crucifixion was one of the cruelest forms of death. Those who were historians at the time, so nearly 2,000 years ago, writing about all the events that occurred just in Roman culture and all, they described this as one, one Cicero, he described it as a cruel and disgusting penalty. Josephus called it the worst of deaths. It was reserved for those who had the worst crimes. Rarely was it even given to any Roman citizen because it was so bad. Jesus endured it. I emphasize that in case somebody's wondering, maybe he was just passed out. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't resuscitated, right? He was, he was resurrected. It wasn't just brought back on a whim. And the emphasis on his resurrection is important because 1 Corinthians explains this more in depth. So, so the angels, they're talking to the women at the tomb and they're explaining that he had to rise. Well, that word rise unpacks an entire understanding of why the resurrection was so important. So let me explain this for us using the words from 1 Corinthians 15. I don't even have to like get creative. It explains it for us. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse three, it says, Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. If we were to keep reading this, we'd get down to verse 17. And it explains this. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Some of your translations might say your faith is in vain or it's futile. Verse 18 says, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. 
And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ's resurrection proved who he was. Because there's the resurrection, there's not only proof that he was uh, communicating truth, but it validates his death on the cross. Some writers have described it this way. As one wrote, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, faith has not resulted in the forgiveness of sins, which means that believers remain under the tyranny of sin and death, and those who have already died have perished. Another one wrote, this statement, you are still in your sins, confirms that without the resurrection of Christ, Christ's death alone has no atoning, redemptive, or liberating effect in relation to human sin. His resurrection has never been legitimately refuted with biblical or outside writings and scholarship or archaeology. People definitely witnessed him walking alive. They witnessed him dying and they witnessed him walking alive afterwards. So they saw this, this happened. Well, friends, why must this happen to Jesus? Well, because he is the only one who could save us. Not another king or some sort of political leader, not just a miracle worker or a prophet, but the son of God himself. It had to be somebody who was sinless. It had to be somebody who was perfect, the perfect lamb on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 15, I was already reading this, but let's keep reading the next two verses. It says, so you see, starting in verse 21, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, talking about Adam and Eve in the garden when sin was introduced due to their disobedience. So just as everyone dies, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Earlier, you know, 10 minutes ago or so, I read that God wants all men to be saved. That verse there out of 1 Timothy. Well, how is that possible? Or by what means does God want all to be saved? Is it by going to church regularly? Or is it by giving money to the church or feeding those who are hungry or uh, volunteering with a charity? You know, all those things are good things, but they are not things that save us. They're expressions of a heart that has been changed. To be saved, God has to transform your heart. He has to do a supernatural heart transplant, taking your heart of stone and replacing it with a new heart. So friends, if you thought cardiology was difficult, imagine supernatural cardiology. Scripture says our role in salvation isn't doing the surgery, it is belief. God does the work. Our belief has to be real, it has to be genuine, a genuine confession of our sin and a complete and utter following of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus took our sin. He was and remains to be the perfect lamb. He was sacrificed as atonement And he rightfully and fully appeased God's wrath. Romans 3, 23, 4, and 5 summarizes it so well. It says this, For all have sinned, 
So I have, you have, we all have, uh, those in this room have, in green have, across the world have, all have sinned uh, today, and then those created thousands of years ago. All have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or atonement by his blood to be received by faith. Again, by faith, not, I don't know, a checklist of things to do. Salvation in Jesus is a gift. It's a gift that we receive when we believe. I like how Jennifer Hurt describes this conflict between what I just read and then how we respond. She wrote, God wants to give us a gift, yet we want to buy it. You know, I've met a lot of people throughout the years, even in, this own, in our own town here, who they would say they don't need this gift. They'd say, listen, I'm not church going, I'm not a Christian, but I am a good person. Like, I'm just generally good. And if we were talking about this, like at Murphy's down the street, I'd say, hey, listen, I love that you're a good person. I like good people. I like nice people more than mean people. Mean people are kind of not fun to be around. And it's good for us to be good people. Sure, that's generally helpful for a society to function and to flourish. However, being a good person doesn't give you the right to be in heaven. Being a good person doesn't reconcile your broken heart with a holy God. And at the end of the day, we are not good enough on our own to stand in God's presence and be with him forever. Only Jesus's blood can allow us to be there. For a lot of us who think, listen, I'll just, I'll just be good enough. It reminds me if I were to have a, uh, like a pint of spoiled milk here on the table, and if I put sugar in that pint of milk, it would not taste any better. It would still taste gross. And I actually thought about getting like a spoiled milk thing right here, and uh, I really wanted to, and then I was going to drink it, or like fake drink it or something, but... Um, I, well, I'm, I've been up since like 3.15 a.m. And I thought I would be uh, sick to my stomach right now because I don't need that right in front of me. But our hearts, they are rotten and they need a replacement. They don't need sugar in it or on top of it. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Titus 3.5 similarly says he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy and that is why we need Jesus and that's what separates him from all these other religious figures or religions or those that would claim to offer something that could be salvation because all these other ones say it's a list of do's and don'ts in some sort of capacity when you boil it all down it is some sort of appeasing the creator God for us to be able to be in his presence. Well, friends, Christianity is very clear. You can't do anything good enough to appease God and only Jesus could. So praise the Lord. He's given us that gift. Philip Yancey describes this in a certain way. I love the phrasing on this. He says, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God's love for us is so incessant so relentless 
that we can respond to and we can be immersed in and we can receive his love all the time. Wonderful for us to remember. Another friend, he's a pastor in town, he said, God's love for you in Christ is stubborn. Even if you could give it a thousand good reasons to stop, it would just keep coming. Friends, we get to respond to Jesus' initiation toward us and his love toward us. So why Jesus? Again, if a friend or family member or a coworker said, well, why Jesus? I mean, there are a lot of different people we can, uh, we can worship, we can celebrate, but why Jesus? What makes him the true God? Well, only he could bridge, bridge that gap. Only he could provide a true salvation that is rooted in grace. So all that we were just sharing is like the giant explanation from the angels who were talking to the women and giving them a breakdown saying, he must die and he must rise. That's a lot. But then there's a response from the women and the disciples that I want to talk about briefly here as we wrap up. In ancient literature, it was uncommon for an author to cite a woman's testimony. And it was also uncommon to explain or to demonstrate the hero's faults or their flaws. And so Luke's recording of this is striking just from a literature standpoint. Some people question, well, like he was just trying to give like the best, uh, the best stuff. Like they're just, they're whitewashing. It's like propaganda in the spiritual world. Okay. Well, then why would he use a women's testimony? And then why would he say the disciples, they were like not having this, right? What's, what's the phrasing here? They thought it was an idle tale. They did not believe. So Peter jumps up and runs out. If you wanted to push your thinking, you would say, uh, well, you wouldn't include the women at first. And then you'd also say the disciples heard this and they were so happy. They're like, I knew it. I knew Jesus was gonna rise, right? You guys know those people in like a group. They're like, I knew that person was gonna win. You're like, nobody knew that that was gonna happen. And in this case, Luke includes their faults and he also includes the ladies and their response to all this. It's a wonderful detail for us as readers today. But it's verse 12 that captures my attention the most and convicts me for how we should respond to. It starts off with the two words, but Peter. So everyone's like, I don't know, it's an idle tale. I don't know if I can believe this. Uh, You know, what did you ladies have for breakfast? You know, that tomb is not empty. I don't know what you're talking about. But Peter, he gets up and he runs. Friends, it's Peter's response that challenges us. Do we run to God? Again, a moment ago, I was talking about those kids. They're chasing after, looking after eggs. They were like running after them like crazy, all right? Running faster than their legs can keep up. And then some of them trip and fall and it's like, great. And you're taking pictures and stuff. Some kids cry and you're like, oh, I knew that was gonna happen on Easter collection, Easter egg moment. Well, in our case, let's look at Peter's heart and challenge ourselves. Do our pursuits Do our activities look like somebody who is running after and seeking God, seeking the truth, devoting the best of our energies to knowing what is true? When was the last time that you ran to Jesus? Or Another way to word this would be, do you need to run to him today? 
if you would say, listen, I feel like I'm kind of like Peter. The reality is, I would say, this sounds like an idle tale. Well, see for yourself. Look into scripture. Discover who God is. Find yourself working through a path that is very similar to all of us who have already uh, come to faith in Jesus. It's not just been something that is taken lightly. We have sought after God, who are you? I want to remind all of us here that God wants to restore your heart. He wants to restore relationship with you. The voice of God won't stop until you turn to him. God's love is too incessant and without limitations. And so today is your chance to live a new life. But it's something that you must do. It's not something that I can do for you or that your parents can do for you. We can't get to heaven and then you're like, hey, Pastor Adam, can you write a reference letter for me before God and tell him like, I, I really wanted to, I just didn't. Uh, or I, I really like was trying. It's like, no, it's not how that works. Our belief now on earth our belief specifically in the work of Jesus Christ for our sin is the means by which we can be in God's presence or not. I like how John Calvin writes it 500 years ago. He wrote, no man is excluded from calling upon God. The gate of salvation is set open unto all men. Neither is there any other thing which keepeth us back from entering in safe or except only our own unbelief. As we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, it ties in with the death of Jesus as atonement for our sin, and now we live with new life. There's a wonderful message that's carried into and, and brought out from the resurrection story. And so we are challenged, and I, and I challenge you specifically, respond like Peter did, in which there is an urgency, there is a passion with my life. I want to chase after the things of God. With my life, I want to be the kind of person who's marked as, and I ran after Jesus. As we respond now with some worship and a few other things, the band, you guys can come on up here. It's, it's, a, it's a time for us to collectively respond. So we will sing songs. You can stand, uh, you can sit if you'd like. And then in a, in a moment, we will... Uh, there's a few other stations you can use as well if you'd like. We have some communion stations, one in the back and two up here. We also have a, our prayer section over here with some cards. You can write down anything you may want and put it in the basket. And then we also have this cross here that's been so beautifully uh, covered with different flowers. And behind kind of like the first six rows here, there's, there's flowers in the urns or vases, I guess. And in those, you can take those and you can set them at the cross as well, if that would um, stir within you a recognition of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. All right, so let me pray for us, and then we can respond accordingly. Heavenly Father.